Hi, I'm Luke. And I'm Kaylin. And, and this, this is Death Row Dialogue. Dialogue. This is a true crime podcast where we talk about death row inmates from their first words to their last. And this is one of our special episodes that is out of state. Oh, yeah. So, um, Where's it going to be? Luke, have you ever been to North Carolina? I have not. I have not either. Oh. I One day I hope that, um, you know, if we ever get, like, famous <laughs> and we're, like, touring... Uh, but North Carolina and South Carolina is somewhere that I want to go. I never thought that until um, we were planning the family vacation. And um, one of the family members was like, oh, we should go here. The beaches are so pretty. And I started looking into it. And I was like, what the heck? They are so pretty. And that was the place that I told you had all those dive sites. Right. That I wanted to like go dive in. So it's definitely on the list to visit. <laughs> So we are in North Carolina today, and we are talking about James W. Hutchins. And, um, and shout out to North Carolina. They have the most listeners, so yes. that's why we're doing your state. Yes. Um, I know we at least have one North Carolina resident that listens to us every episode. So if that's you, thank you. This is all for you. <laughs> and you can tell everyone that this is dedicated to you. I don't know your name. <laughs> But if I did, I would shout it out. But you could go leave a review, and then I would shout it out next episode. So, James W. Hutchins was born on March 26, 1929, and he was born in Rutherford County, North Carolina. And his father was an alcoholic who abused his mother and at some point chased her with a gun. So he grew up around violence. He had a brother named Billy, and Billy said that James always had a bad, bad temper. Oh, we get his brother's input? Yeah. That's, I feel like we haven't had that before. Yeah. Um, it was something that was mentioned that Billy did say that he was always like this. He was widely feared in Rutherford County. Like, everyone knew him as a violent and dangerous person. Like a bully or yeah. a gangster or was, something? Yeah, I think he was kind of like the town drunk and that kind of thing. Just wanted to fight and cause problems. And he had a short fuse and would get mad about everything. He did serve in the Air Force during the Korean War and was trained as a rifleman in the war. That will be important later. At the time of the arrest in 1979, he was married with three children and unemployed at the time. But in the past, he had been a textile worker and a carpenter. I think he just did, like, odd jobs once he got out of the war. He didn't really know, like... What to do. Yeah. I feel like he didn't really have, like, a purpose. So, the first time he murdered was um, he murdered Bruce Weibel, who was 32 years old and was a truck driver from Texas. He was driving in New Mexico, and James was hitchhiking when he went AWOL. So, he left was hitchhiking in New Mexico and Bruce being the nice spirit that he was picked up a hitchhiker. Wait, so I'm guessing he was stationed in New Mexico. It didn't ever say where he was stationed, but he left the military. Yes. And then he was picked up in New Mexico. Yeah. By Bruce. Yes. Okay. Um, at some point during this drive, James killed Bruce and wrapped his body in a blanket and hid it under a bridge. And the only thing that we have to say why he did it 
is during the trial, he said that Bruce tried to strangle him and he acted in self-defense. Yeah, I, I don't really believe that. But it's just, it's just... It's just his word. Yeah, that's all it is. And from what you're saying, it sounds like there's multiple murders. So it's like... Well, and I mean, he's a violent man. So did Bruce just refuse to turn around and take him where he wanted to go and say like, I'll drop you off on my way, but I'm not going that way. I mean, maybe he was trying to instigate a fight, you know, mm-hmm. and then Bruce did attack him. Yeah. But it was after. Well, and he also continued to drive the truck to, he drove the truck to Oklahoma. So maybe he did it just because he wanted the truck. Yeah, and he put the body under a bridge? Yeah, and then tried to say in court that it was self-defense. And the court must have believed him in some aspect because he got voluntary manslaughter and got five to ten years in prison, but was paroled in 1959. Oh, so these are, it's one of those where he murdered someone and got away with it. Yeah. And um, while in prison, okay, so this, that incident happened in 54. So he did, he got out in 1959. So four years after the crime committed, that's not even him being in prison for four years. So how much, we don't even know how much time he actually did. Right. Less than four years. Yeah. So while in prison, an official wrote, the prognosis for future behavior is poor. He has a very poor attitude. So, it's not like he did good in jail. He, he was probably getting mad at everyone and trying to start fights. Yeah, probably. So, um, he got out, and then it looks like he did okay with not getting arrested for a little while. Until about seven years later, he was charged with assault with a deadly weapon with intent to kill after he attacked the husband of his ex-wife. So he attacked the husband of his ex-wife with a deadly weapon and intended to kill him and got charged with that. He was given an eight-month suspended sentence for that. Eight months. For? For intending to kill someone after he already had an involuntary manslaughter charge. So... how, How did he only get eight months for this? And, wait, and he was fined $200. What? Yeah. What is going on in North Carolina? Well, I think... Yeah, you're right. I don't know. I don't know where this part was. Probably was. I don't know. But that's just wild. Like, they must have had some really good lawyer or something. So then he had two more convictions for assault with a deadly weapon and um, burglary in 1969 and got a six-month sentence for that. Then... He served four months in jail for driving with a revoked license. Do you have the mugshot of this guy? Um, uh, yeah, I do. Oh, I was just thinking, like, he's going to be one of those who's, like, just good looking oh, no. or... No? I mean, I have the mugshot... Like, how was he getting away with this? I, I need something. I have the mugshot something. from when he was finally arrested where he was older. Oh. So I don't know what he looked like when he was younger and doing a lot of this stuff. Yeah, but I guess he's not charismatic if he's causing problems and everyone's saying... Yeah, that is true. Everyone did say he was violent. Okay, so now we are on to the night that got him on death row. 
and I didn't do the math uh, when I was researching, but it looks like he was 50, like exactly 50 when this happened. He was living in um, Ruthford County, which is where he grew up, and he, like we mentioned earlier, he had children. So he had a teenage daughter. It was kind of, uh, there was some discrepancy on what event they were going to, if it was graduation or if it was prom. But I think because this happened on May 31st, I think it was graduation. The daughter was getting ready for graduation and she was making herself an alcoholic drink to celebrate, you know? And he attacked her for drinking the vodka. I don't know if he was just mad that she was underage and drinking vodka or if he was like, that's my vodka mm. kind of thing. Yeah. But he did physically attack her. And then other family members tried to intervene and he attacked them. The daughter got away and ran across the street to call the local sheriff. So the Ruthford County deputies got the call and Captain Roy Husky, who was 42 years old, was dispatched to the call. He goes to this domestic and he goes to get out of his car and he was shot in the head with a high powered rifle by James before he even completely got out of his patrol vehicle and died on the spot. So he is now dead in the driveway. He's not answering his radio, obviously, and dispatchers are trying to check on him. So he, the dispatchers send another unit because he's not answering his radio. They send um, Deputy Owen Messersmith, who is 58, and when- I have the chills so bad right now. It's rough. Yeah. Um, when he made it on scene, he saw that the captain, he saw the captain's body and realized that he had been shot. So he hadn't even got out of his vehicle. He saw it, pulled into the driveway, started backing out. As he was backing out, Hutchins shot him in the head through the windshield with a high-powered rifle, killed him instantly. His vehicle wasn't parked, so it drove into a ditch where his body slumped over the wheel and the horn started blaring. So now they have two deputies not answering the radios. A neighbor calls in because they see everything and they hear the alarm going off. So they call in to the deputies to tell them what's going on and to dispatch. James flees the scene in his car with still having the rifle. When the dispatcher gets this call, she faints. And so now no one's answering the radio. No one's answering phones. And this, since this is a county, typically in counties, the dispatch is connected to the jail. So the jailer starts hearing no one's answering these officers. I'm going to go see what's going on. He goes in to check on this dispatcher and sees that she's unconscious. So he takes over. He sits in their chair, starts answering their radio, answering their phones, trying to call an ambulance for the dispatcher. Would he know the codes? No. So because all the ambulances are going to the deputies that are now not answering their radios, there's no ambulances to come to this dispatcher. And um, I got a lot of my information from Wikipedia and Wikipedia was roasting this jailer, like talking about how he didn't know the dispatch protocol. So the suspect information was not given out. The information was not given out to local agencies. It wasn't given out statewide, but you have to understand like not anyone can just come in and sit in a dispatch chair and know what they're doing. Right. 
And um, I actually, I don't know if y'all know, I am a 911 dispatcher. I dispatch law enforcement. I was talking to my coworker about this. And I was telling her, you know, how people were being so mean to this jailer because he didn't get out suspect information. And she told a story about when she was in training, she um, sat down on the radio. She was doing 911 calls. She wasn't in her radio training yet. I'm sorry, it's so funny. <laughs> and she was taking a bolo, which is a be on the lookout for a reckless driver. And when you take the 911 call for a reckless driver, you announce it over the radio. She hadn't got radio training yet. And at the console, you have a little pedal at the bottom. And they told her, just click the pedal, say your radio traffic, and then there you go. And so she's having to hype herself up because it's nerve wracking to get on the radio when you have all of these officers listening. And so she finally like has exactly in her head what she needs to say. She has her script. She pushes the pedal and she does her radio traffic. After she's like, oh, I did so good. Like, I'm so proud of myself. And all the other dispatchers are like, that was so good for your first transmission over the radio. Like, you did so well. And they go to listen to it back. She never keyed up. She, you have to hold the pedal. Oh, so she, she just, just clicked it. it. Yeah, she just <laughs> clicked it once. And so she was never keyed up. But, you know, that's just a little insight. You can't just sit down and know what you're doing. Right. And so... Well, it's even then, it's like, well, when most people think of 911, it's like, 911, what's your emergency? But that's not how you answer the phone. Well, there's there's so much that goes into it. Right. And it seemed like this was the only dispatcher in there. So she's answering 911 calls. She's answering admin lines. She's Fire sending... I don't know exactly what they're... They did, but they leased deputies. Right. And so if she passes out, there's no one there to take over for her. Yeah. This jailer did the best he could. Yeah. With what he was given. Well, and it's like, it wasn't even his... Console station. Right, right. So, but unfortunately, due to everything that happened, the suspect information was not given through. Um, There was a state trooper... Who was his name was Robert Peterson, and he heard, you know, like mangled radio traffic coming across. I don't know if you've ever heard like radio traffic that you can like kind of hear. It kind of sounds like when you're on the phone with somebody and it keeps cutting out. It's just a lot of static. You can't really understand. You can hear like a word here and there. And he got a bad feeling. He was like, I know something's wrong. And they didn't have radios in their car that connected to all the agencies. He had his own personal radio that he had bought so that he could hear other agencies. Uh So, sweetheart of a man. Yeah, I was going to say. What's his name? His name is Robert Peterson. Shout out to Robert Peterson. Yes, so he that was his personal thing that he did. Not all troopers did that. So, he started heading towards um, Rutherford to... Help out. To help out. Or figure out what's going on. Yeah, to figure out what's going on. And he called his dispatch and he's like, hey... Can you call their dispatch and see what's going on? She couldn't get through. There were so many calls coming through that she couldn't get a hold of the jailer. So um, while he was on the way, he entered Ruth Rutherfordton, very hard name to say, <laughs> on US 221 when Hutchins sped past him. And he didn't know what was going on. He just thought there was like a crazy speeder. And he's like, okay, this person's like, it's really dangerous. I'm going to flip around and pull this person over first. So he flipped around to pull him over. And he, his last radio traffic was to give the location just north of Rutherfordton and to say that the suspect had fled on foot. 
and then he never answered his radio again. So once he wasn't answering his radio again, obviously troopers started responding to his location. I think by this time they started getting wind that this was happening. And it said that there were troopers that were on duty and off duty that were rushing to him. His vehicle was found and it was turned to where there was an engine block. So it was a tactical defense. Like he knew that he had a gun and he was trying to protect himself. Right. Um, Peterson had shot one shot out of his pistol and then he was um, had a gunshot wound to the head like everyone else and was slumped over in his seat. It took them 12 hours to find Hutchins. And there was over 200 law enforcement officers that were there looking for him from all jurisdictions. There was state, local, and FBI there looking for him. This makes me so mad. Like, what was his plan? Just keep killing every single officer? Like, it's not going to stop. I don't know. He was finally found on June 1st, 1979, and he was found in, like, a dense, thicket, wooded area. And he was actually arrested by the sheriff of Ruther County, who was... um, who was one of the officers that died, his brother-in-law. So the brother-in-law was the sheriff, and he ended up arresting him. And it said everywhere that this was, like, a super professional arrest. Like, he didn't let his emotional side, like, he didn't try to abuse him or anything. He just arrested him and took him in. Yeah. There was a film, I haven't got to watch it, that was um, made about the manhunt, and it was called either Damon's Law, and I think Damon was the name of the sheriff, or it's called Ruthford County Line. And it is supposed to be a film that's about the manhunt. He was housed at the Shelby Cleveland County due to a widespread anger. Like, they could not keep him in the Ruth, oh, Ruthford Jail. Yeah, of course. So they took him to the Shelby, Shelby Cleveland County Jail for his own safety and then moved him again to the Buncombe County Jail in Asheville. <clears throat> so... Okay, sorry, I was trying to do months in my head. Two months later, he started court. He pleaded not guilty. Like, what in your brain makes you think you can plead not guilty? That's what, that's exactly like, he murdered the first guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, Like, if you're lying about this, then obviously... Well, it took them a few days to figure out that he was guilty of two counts of first-degree murder and one count of second-degree murder. I don't know exactly um, what the discrepancy is. I don't know if they decided the first two were first degree and the trooper was second degree. I think, I think that the first two would have been first degree because he knew the deputies were he knew the deputies were coming to his house, and he got the rifle mm-hmm. and planned to shoot them as they pulled up. But when he fled, he didn't plan to kill the trooper. That just happened when he was pulled over. Or, like, pursued. That would, that's my thought process on it. I'm not sure if that's true or not. But that's what I would think. The jury said that he should die in the execution gas chambers. Wow. They yeah. really did not like those guys. N- no. So, um, and the judge that was presiding over the case said that he was the most dangerous man he'd ever seen. Yeah, what? This is why. Like, how did he murder someone and get, what was it, eight months? Um, oh, we don't know. That was one where he had four years in between the crime. The eight months was no. the intent to kill. He didn't actually kill him. Oh, okay. That I was got that intent. mistaken earlier. Yeah. Oh. Um, so he is the one that chose lethal injection. Mm-hmm. I guess he had an option yeah. for it. They're like, 
I mean, you're gonna die. Choose one. Unfortunately, like, yeah. That. So, he chose lethal injection, and um, he did get one stay that was granted based on claims of the jurors being filtered out. You know, some of them didn't agree with the death penalty, things like that. He was finally executed on March 16th in 1984, five years after this happened. His last meal was a steak sandwich and a soda, and he had no last words. So, um, I have a little bit about each of the officers that were killed. Um, Trooper Peterson, he um, got a portion of US-221 dedicated to him. And he was the longest assigned personal training instructor, or the physical trainer instructor, that was at the trooper department there in North Carolina. And he trained about 10 classes. So that was the longest anyone had ever trained there. There's a personal or physical training field named after him. He was 37 and he was a U.S. Army veteran. He had served in Vietnam and he'd been a trooper for nine years. There was... um, an officer down memorial page for him and it was the sweetest one I've ever seen like this there was one person that um had known him when he first started there I think and she was like a secretary and I think they had like a little thing going on and so she like wrote like a book about how like they flirted and their relationship and how he was like the sweetest man ever it was so sweet so there wasn't as much about the other um officers captain roy husky which was the first officer that was shot he was 48 years old he had done 12 years on duty and that was who was the brother of the sheriff and he got a bridge named after him and then deputy millard owen messer smith he was 58 years old officer down didn't have any information about him but he also had a bridge named after him and for our texas people i wanted to give you a little insight on how big um, Rutherton, North Carolina is. There's about 3,400 people in it. That was in 1980. That's about equal to Dublin here. You know, Dublin, like right by yeah, Stephenville. Yeah, like Dr. Pepper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's about equal to that or Reno City. And that is all I have for you. Wow. That was a crazy episode. Every state always starts out with a bang, it seems like. Yeah. Can't wait to hear the next one. So we will be back next week with a new state, unless this one decides that they are going to have everyone in the state listen, and then we'll do them again. So tune in next week to see what state it is. All right. Thanks for listening. Bye, guys. Bye.